Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, we're getting close to the weekend, Thursday afternoon with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thank you for being along for the ride with us. Hey, Dad, what are you? What are you laughing about? Like we, we just come I, on and I you're already doing that chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. I didn't get the memo. The memo that it was vest day here on the show. I'm sorry, I, I missed out on that, buddy. The temperature's going down. It's going to be vest day every day for the next it's few months. It's vest season on Sports Talk yes, Mississippi. Sir. Nobody told me. Yeah, I got a there whole go. section of my closet dedicated to these bad boys. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's like a vestibule. How many, <laughs> how many vests do you have, Borky? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd guess twelve to fifteen. Wow, I'm a vest well, guy. The vest it's, show it's my look. Sports it, talk in sports talk radio. Yeah, see, I just need to move to Northern California because that would be my look every day. We just don't get vest season long enough here. Fair enough. Yes, I do actually have a vest on today. It's not usually my thing, that. but uh, occasionally. Um, good to be with you. You want to be part of the conversation? You can do so on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. I will tease this, but I can't tell you everything yet. We've got some exciting news coming up with our friends at C Spire. And hopefully in the next couple of days which I guess means either tomorrow or Monday, we'll uh, be able to fill you in fully. But uh, a really cool development in uh, a long-time partnership uh, between Super Talk Mississippi and uh, this particular show, Sports Talk Mississippi, and, uh, and C Spire with uh, some cool things for you coming as we, uh, as we move forward. C Spire text line, there is a lot of bull in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal, the best plan for one or two lines. $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Cspire.com. NFL football tonight. Woohoo. Got a great one coming up. Tell me all about it, Borky. Tell me how excited you are for Atlanta and Carolina tonight. Um, I love the NFL and I love NFL football. And at times tonight, this will resemble NFL football. <laughs> Aside from but... that, there's no reason to really watch. Bridgewater's been pretty good, though. I, I mean, I, the Saints are going to regret letting him go, but I, they, there's nothing they could have done about it because they didn't have $20 million over a few years to give him to keep him. But, man, he's playing at a level with not a good roster around him that just makes you wonder what next year and the year after and the year after would be like after Breeze retires. You know the thing that's so perplexing about the Atlanta Falcons 
and, and I guess it's def- defensive related, but they're so talented offensively. Matt Ryan this year, hey dad, rocking his Saints shirt. Matt Ryan, 12 touchdowns, only three picks. He's thrown for almost 2,200 yards in seven games. Todd Gurley, kind of looking like the old Todd Gurley. Can't keep him out of the end zone. Just (laughs) cannot keep him out of the end zone. I know saw it. Did you see the video that came out yesterday about that? No. They had they had the Falcons, I guess, mic'd up or Matt Ryan mic'd up. He's oh, in the yeah, huddle yeah. before yeah, that yeah. play saying, Don't score, don't score. And then get Gurley the first, gets, don't score. Gets to the one and then completely has a brain fart and his body seizes up on him and he just seizures himself into the end zone, basically. It's almost like one of those things, even when you know I mean, everything you are trained to do in football is, especially as a running back, go score, go score, go score, go score, go score. And it's just so counterintuitive to, oh, yeah, go like you're going to score and then don't score, and the, even when it's right there for the taking. The Lions deserve some credit. Talk about being prepared for the situation. Lions yeah. player wraps him up. Like, so Gurley in his mind thinking, okay, this guy's going to tackle me, and then lets him go. I mean that is that is some like next level thinking. I'm gonna wrap this guy up and then let him go because so he can think I'm tackling him when I'm really not. That's really smart. Yeah. That was good. And Ryan's reaction after he scores, he just puts his hands on his head, just yeah. like, like like he knew what was coming. He knew they were gonna go get scored on and lose the yeah. game. He he knew. But, but but again, thinking about this Falcons offense. With Matt Ryan and Todd Gurley and Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, he's healthy, right? Or is he not? Julio's I have not healthy. seen a report uh, about his availability tonight in particular, but yeah. He's played in five games this year, so he's missed a couple. I mean, Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones have combined for over 1,000 yards, almost 1,100 yards receiving, eight touchdowns between the two of them. Hayden Hurst, pretty good as a tight end. They can They've score got on anybody. weapons. Oh yeah, they can score, but they can't stop anyone. That and I mean, think about all the games they've blown. Though uh, they should yeah. be squarely in the mix for the division right now if they just don't step on their own feet on the way to victory. I mean, look 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 at their losses this year. They lose in the opener to the Seahawks by thirteen. They lose by one to the Cowboys, who were awful, and they blew that game and had a blew big lead that in that game. game. They lose by four to the Bears. We're Blew that good. one too, right? They had a significant lead game. early. Blew that game. They lose by two touchdowns to the Packers. They lose by a touchdown to the Panthers. They beat the Vikings handily and then completely blew it against the Lions. So that's what, one, two, at least three more wins they should have. Which puts them squarely in the division hunt. For an automatic playoff spot, if they just don't blow those games, I mean that that that's got them at four and three. And when you look at the standings right now in the uh, the NFC South, you got the Bucks at five and two, the Saints at four and two, the Panthers at three and four. They would be in front of them. Hey. And that's just if they don't blow the leads, don't yeah. blow those games. If they actually get a win against the Panthers where they were lost by a touchdown, they could be tied for the division lead right now. But they're not. 
Here's what I know about the Carolina Panthers is they have got a heck of a football coach. Going into this year and with some injuries that they've dealt with, you thought the Panthers might be terrible. They had a four-point loss in the opener to the Raiders. They lost big to the Bucks. Beat the Chargers, beat the Cardinals, beat the Falcons in consecutive weeks. Had a one-touchdown loss to the Bears and a field goal loss to the Saints. And that's with McCaffrey being hurt for a significant yes. amount of time. And I mean, they've got a couple of guys, but just off the top of your head, can you name a Patriots receiver or a Panthers receiver? No, I can't. See, so the weapons aren't Steve really there. Smith. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey's played in two games this year. And Mike Davis has become their leading rusher. Yeah, who's that? Robbie Anderson is their leading receiver. Who is that? DJ Moore is their second leading receiver. Mike Davis, Miles the backup Hartfield's running back, is third the leading receiver. Yeah, former Ole Miss safety Miles Hartsfield's <laughs> having to play running back. Mm. Yeah, I, I wonder now, especially because we've got some coaches coaching searches coming up. The aforementioned Falcons, you got Houston. There's talk over in South Carolina about Dabo and oh, God bless the local people there because they asked Dabo about the uh, open Texans job, and he said, no, I'm just focused on Clemson right now. I'm not interested right now. They took that as gospel, and they're convinced that Dabo would never leave to go coach the Texans. God bless those people. But uh, same, same same guy that asked Trevor Lawrence about how, how he felt about the idea of living in New York. <laughs> um. But I wonder if, especially Rule's early success and Cliff Kingsbury's early success, you think these NFL teams, and of course there's going to be more, the Jets are going to be looking for a coach as well. Maybe they call Dabo because he'll bring Trevor Lawrence with him. If they're more open to the idea of bringing in a college coach, because the NFL for years has been all about retreads. Just hiring the guy that was okay at the other place, maybe he'll win here, but maybe out-of-the-box thinking and hiring a college coach is something they're more willing to do. I'm fascinated by that moving forward. Ceasefire text line. Y'all don't know who Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore are, I mean, but you I, have a sports talk radio I show? I know who they are. I just watched them play. But the casual sports fan is just going to, yeah, I know Robbie Anderson. He's great. No, that's the point, as they don't have stars around They Bridgewater. don't have Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. They don't have DK Metcalf. They don't have AJ Brown. Michael Thomas. Uh, I mean, th- there are so many guys that other teams that they play every week have that they don't. And they're competitive and winning. That was the point of that. Yeah, and, and the overall point is simply the NFL is full of household names. We just ripped off a few of them DeAndre Hopkins. Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, etc. And the Carolina Panthers don't have those guys. Now, yes, Robbie Anderson has been really good. Second most receiving yards in the NFL out of Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Big afternoon coming up on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Brett Hudson will join us coming up in just a little while. We will talk about the matchup between 
Mississippi State and Alabama with Brett. That's coming up about 15 minutes from right now. To start the 4 o'clock hour, Allie Mack. Allie McDonald, fresh off of her LPGA Tour win. Thank you, Brian Haydad, for taking care of that. What was it, I ask on Monday, and here we are on Thursday, and bam, it's happening? Yeah. Couldn't have possibly gotten her any quicker than that either. There's no way we could have had her yesterday or anything like that. None of that could have happened. Not possible. So we're glad that we could work it out today. (laughs) Exactly. What happened yesterday? Nothing. What did I miss? Nothing. Not one thing. Not a thing. We got behind-the-scenes stuff that I don't know about? Yes. Possibly. And that's how it's going to stay. Okay. Well, we are looking forward to visiting with Allie McDonald, a Fulton, Mississippi native who played her college golf at Mississippi State and over the weekend got her first LPGA Tour win uh, out, uh, what, Lake Oconee, about halfway between Atlanta and Augusta. Pretty good state for golf there. And uh, then Lee Sterling is going to join us in the uh, 4 o'clock hour as well. His normal time slot, 20 minutes after 4. So that is all coming up. So, a little bit of news that is floating around out there today. Pete Thamel tweeted this. Sources. The SEC is discussing whether there should be a policy about teams running through their pregame warm-ups in adjacent indoor facilities as opposed to in the stadium. Ole Miss has done this in games where it has rained this year, prompting the discussion. All right, Borky, so on our rundown today, you wrote... The SEC is going to implement a policy that stops Ole Miss from warming up, not on the game field, because Nick Saban cried about it. Yep. Actually not accurate. Uh, That's funny, because you told me that. Not exactly. That's not exactly what I said, but I have gotten new information since. It felt like there was some gamesmanship between Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban. I was later told that Nick Saban actually didn't have an issue with it, but Greg Byrne, the athletics director at Alabama, was none too pleased from his athletic director skybox when Alabama visited Ole Miss. Turns out that was bad information. However, when Ole Miss did this for a second time this year, My understanding is that Gus Malzahn pitched a hissy fit and immediately complained to the Southeastern Conference office. And his biggest complaint, and I guess there's something to this, especially if you're looking for a reason to complain, His biggest complaint was not that Ole Miss wasn't on the field. He didn't like that. But the fact that Ole Miss support staff and assistant coaches did come out on the field, (laughs) even though the rest of the team was not. Now, you can debate all you want how much that matters. But if you watch it, if you get into a stadium while pregame warm-ups are going on, you will notice a significant number of coaches standing at or very, very close to midfield with their backs turned to their team, 
and they've got rosters in hand, and they've got papers, and what they're doing is watching the other end of the field while the opponent warms up to see, is everybody there? Is anybody injured? Do they have a guy that normally lines up at wide receiver that's lined up at H-back? Do they have a running back who's lining up primarily as wide receiver, etc.? And again, I don't know how big of a deal that really is, but they're all looking for an advantage of some sort, and they're looking for information to help their team get ready for what's going to transpire within the hour. So Ole Miss's coaches were on the field while Auburn was warming up, despite the fact that Ole Miss was warming up inside the Manning Center using their indoor facility. And Gus got on the phone or had someone get on the phone and was complaining to the league office. And apparently that is how we've gotten to this level. You kind of understood it against Alabama because that was the game that got pushed back because of the potential hurricane stuff and the inclement weather and, you know, okay, just stay dry, stay inside, don't chew up the field in pregame, whatnot. Although that's probably even a little silly. I think it's a mind game thing more than anything that Lane Kiffin has been playing with the opponents, <laughs> specifically Alabama and Auburn. And, and Ole Miss did not do that against Florida in the season opener. They were out on the field. Florida was out on the field. Everybody went through the warm-ups. You obviously can't do it on the road, but there's no rule against it. There has not been a rule against it, and so Ole Miss has kind of exploited the fact that there has not been a rule against it. Here's the thing that I'm wondering. Is, is Lane Kiffin the biggest needle the other guys in the SEC it's since Steve Lord Spurrier? For? Yeah. Since Steve Spurrier? Uh, I, think, I, don't, I wouldn't consider less Nobody miles. else has he, done it. I mean, nobody yeah, else has really would, done it. Less would do a little bit of that, but not a whole lot. Um, yeah, maybe so. You know, the, the, the thing, and, and it took a while with Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But, but the general college football fan loved him because he would say anything, and he was funny, and he was witty. And I think at times the Southeastern Conference, you know, whether it was Roy Kramer, the commissioner, or, you know, on down the line, they just had their fill of Steve Spurrier. Now, now, it's funny how his success over a long period of time and his staying power and the fact that most of it was really good-natured and was just to get a laugh, how their perception of him has changed a little bit over the years. I mean, he has been welcomed with open arms. You know, what was it, uh, two years ago? Uh, not this past summer, but the summer before at, uh, at SEC Media Days when they had the screening for the um, well, you know, one of the SEC storied films at the downtown Birmingham, um, what was it, the Lyric in downtown Birmingham, the theater, where they, where they had the screening of that. They had Herschel Walker and Archie Manning and Steve Spurrier on the stage. And he's just beloved, and I think everybody likes him now that he's out of the league. I'm just wondering if that's kind of the same way. Now we'll see if success follows, because as it stands right now, Lane Kiffin is in his second season as a head coach in the Southeastern Conference. There was one year at Tennessee where Mike Slive absolutely got his fill of Lane Kiffin, and he's now in his first year at Ole Miss 
where it seems like, yeah, maybe Greg Sankey is kind of getting his fill of Lane Kiffin as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, am I, is Ole Miss the only school that you can think of where the practice facility is that close to the stadium? A&M. Is a and I, I don't remember seeing it, but I, I'll take it. A&M's right. is close, but not it's not close. connected to the stadium. It's yeah. across a parking lot and a street. It just feels like it's, 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 problem's not the right word. It's just, it's a situation Ole Miss can take advantage of. I, I mean, I just don't see the, the big problem with it. Because there isn't one. Yeah, it just doesn't feel, it's just, it, <laughs> there isn't feels one. Like, and it feels like they're just whining to whine. If next I have week, taken up more for Ole Miss in the last, yeah six weeks than ever thought possible, but here we are. If next week Mississippi State went to Alabama, and it was kind of overcast, you know, it may rain a little bit, so Alabama decides to warm up in their practice facility instead of on the field, and Mike Leach gets on the phone and says, hey, Greg, I don't like that. Are they considering a rule change the next week? No. Absolutely not. They are not. Not a chance in the world that if Mike Leach gets on the phone and complains about Nick Saban and Alabama not warming up on the field with us, anything gets done about it. Not one chance that it happens. <laughs> not a chance. <clears throat> SEC officials taking care of all of them before the game, after the game, during the game. My goodness. But th- Seriously, so what if a team decided... I- that they're just going to stretch in the locker room. Can you? Do you have to like make them take the field for warm-ups, you know? What if they only did half their team? Eh, we're just going to warm up the defense. Or they're just going to do individual drills, and it's just going to be a handful of guys. You know, how do you legislate the ability to see what personnel is getting ready for a game? If only there had been a rule in place in, what was it, 2006, that prohibited in-game scrimmaging in your... Indoor facility. <laughs> Perhaps Ole Miss would have one more win on the ledger through the years. I hear you, Ed Ogeron. I hear you, Wake Forest. Sports Talk Mississippi. We got more coming up. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. For the first time today, we go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Brett Hudson covers the Alabama Crimson Tide for the Tuscaloosa News and uh, Tide Sports, tidesports.com. He and uh, Brian Haydad are exceptionally close. So close that they uh, constantly make fun of each other on the uh, Twitters.com. Brett, what's up, man? Yeah, man, uh, I wish y'all had a higher standard for Mississippi State uh, reporters. I'd probably, I'd probably come on y'all's show more often if that was the case. But, you know, i gotta, I got to withhold my personal standards. So. And they certainly couldn't have a bigger standard, though. <laughs> He is self-aware, if nothing else, Brett. Um, all right, I just want right, to let's just dive right in, and we, we won't necessarily do all X's and O's, but I'm really curious about defensive game plan for Alabama, and because Nick Saban always reveals so very much to you guys in the lead up to ball games, I know you'll be really clued in on this. Um, since since the game against Ole Miss, and really since the second half of the Georgia game, 
Bama's been locked in defensively. They look great in the second half. They pitch a shutout in the second half against Georgia. Uh, they're good, uh, certainly last week against, uh, against Tennessee. And so this Alabama defense that seems to have found itself in, in its style, is that what they're going to do? Are they going to play Alabama defense against Mississippi State? Or, and I asked Ryan Brown from, from Jocks yesterday about this, are they going to kind of replicate the plan that Barry Odom put in place that, that Texas A&M used where, you know, they really only rush three and they, they fall back into a bunch of dime coverage, drop eight, and make it hard for, for Mississippi State to try and force it down the field? If they did that, that would certainly be atypical for them. They are not a rush three type team. They're a rush four at all times, sometimes rush five, just to bring a different kind of pressure. They really aren't a, a rush three kind of team. They haven't been for for a long time, probably since Saban has, has been there. Um, as for the defensive performance over the last couple of weeks, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of it. I think it's I think it has more to do with what Georgia and Tennessee do offensively and, and kind of how they go about things. They aren't very modern in their offensive approach to, to put it nicely. They aren't the kind of offenses that traditionally make Alabama's defense sweat. They aren't the kind of teams that attack opponents with tempo, with modern passing attacks and, and RPOs and things like that. They aren't really that kind of new age offense that is designed to put up huge yard totals and huge point totals. So when you aren't presenting Alabama with that, you're you're less likely to have success, right? Now, this is an opportunity for Alabama to prove me wrong. This is an opportunity for, for Alabama to, to show up and defend Mississippi State really well and say, no, that wasn't uh, more about Georgia and Tennessee's structural failings. It was about us getting ourselves right as a, as a defense. This is certainly an opportunity for them to do that. But until they do it, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the recent defensive results for for Alabama for that reason. I, I just don't think Georgia and Tennessee have modernized their offenses to the point that they can anticipate reasonably any level of success against Alabama. Well, and, and that's really an interesting way to couch that because what Mississippi State is doing is different than what the kind of quote-unquote modern offenses are doing. Certainly different than than what Ole Miss does uh, under Lane Kiffin that that had so much success, but it is different than pretty much anything else you'll see. Right, it, it, it's modern, but it's not like it, it. A lot of offenses now are inspired by air raid principles. A lot of the the round combinations you see first popped up in the late eighties and late eighties, mid eighties when Kyle Mummy and Mike Leach were kind of bringing the system up through the, the ranks from Iowa Wesleyan up through Kentucky, and then Mike Leach did his thing at Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and Washington State. So they're, they're kind of new in that they're – or modern, I should say, in that they test all aspects of the field. They test all areas of the field equally. They force you to, to defend all 53 and a third yards wide, and they force you to defend however long their quarterback can throw the football deep. They're, they're making you defend a big portion of the field on every single snap that Georgia's and Tennessee's offenses just are doing. But you're right in that these aren't necessarily new principles. Mike Speech's playbook hasn't changed since he, since he showed up to Texas Tech in, what was that, like 2000 or 1998 or yeah. something like that? He hasn't changed. Since then, so it's not necessarily new, 
but it is reminiscent of some of the modern developments in offensive football that have made everybody suffer defensively, and, and Alabama has absolutely been part of that trend. Brett Hudson covers Alabama for the Tuscaloosa News. And, you know, Brett, you, you look at this Mississippi State team, and obviously they've underperformed on the offensive side of the ball, and that would be putting it mildly. But they've overperformed, at least in comparison to expectations coming in on the defensive side. Zach Arnett uh, with, with that kind of rocky, long, San Diego State style defensively, they've given Mississippi State a chance to win. Alabama's offense has been unstoppable. Yes, Jalen Waddle's out. I don't know that that really changes anything. Can what Mississippi State has been doing defensively carry forward and give Alabama some problems offensively? I, I think it can because the the thing with Alabama's offense is their their run game has been present, but it hasn't been I would say even like good, much less elite nationally. I mean, it's they've been in that three to three and a half yards per carry range. Most games with the Ole Miss game, not notwithstanding for, for pretty obvious reasons with the defensive issues in Oxford at the moment, that no one has been able to fully. Take yeah, I thought Najee Harris game. looked really good in that game. He did well. Yeah, doesn't everybody? But it, they haven't been able to fully take away Alabama's run game. Alabama's had just enough run game to support the pass game that it has with Mac Jones putting up Heisman esque numbers and. Devontae Smith and John Mitchell III, and until very recently, Jalen Waddle, that Clay Bolden is coming into his place and, and seems to be uh, as not as talented as Jalen Waddle necessarily, but talented enough to, to execute that portion of the system and, and do it uh, in a statistically successful way. Um, no one has been able to fully take away Alabama's run game and force the passing portion of the offense to survive without it. So I'm, I'm curious to see if Mississippi State and that defensive front where Marquis Spencer and Nathan Pickering have been balling out. I hear good things about Tyreek Wheat, too. I'm, I'm curious to see if the Zach Arnett, Rocky Long way of doing things can do that. If they can fully take away Alabama's run game and force Matt Jones to do it without the support of a run game. I think they can. They're, they're talented enough. Their, their scheme is diverse and intelligent enough, but no one's forced them to do it yet. I, I was kind of thinking Georgia had a chance to, but then it, it didn't happen. So maybe maybe Mississippi State can. I'm just, I'm just curious what they would do if the run game was taken away from them. Can they win games one-handed? Yeah, and, and Brett, I am curious. And, and maybe last football question here. Offensive philosophy has changed in Tuscaloosa, no, no doubt. I mean, Alabama team that for you know the first decade under Nick Saban was known for physical offensive lines running the ball downhill, multiple backs that can get it done. And I think they got two really good backs right now. But is the just okay running game a function of an overall change in offensive philosophy? I don't think it has to be. I mean, when I'm evaluating the running game and it's uh, okay nature, I'm doing it on per carry basis. I'm not falling into the the total yards gimmick because okay. all of that is just completely shot to heck with uh, with modern offenses and tempo and everything. You have to take it on per carry basis and per play basis and percentages and, and things like that. And even if you take those things into account with Alabama's run game, it's still just okay to maybe average or just a little bit above average, which 
I, I expected more. I, I was pretty adamant that Alabama was going to have the best offensive line in the country this year. They returned four of their five starters from a unit that was one of the finalists for the Joe Moore Award, which is given to the best collective offensive line that was a group of five instead of an individual award. They were returning four of their five starters. They were super deep. They had like three or four guys that could have legitimately subbed into that, that fifth and final starting position, and then Najee Harris is coming back from a 1,200-yard, I think, 13 rushing touchdown season last yeah. year, plus a lot of the guys behind him were coming back. So I thought Alabama's run game was going to be really, really good, and it, it hasn't quite lived up to, to my expectation to this date. But at the same time, they, they've done enough to support what has been an insanely prolific passing attack in this point. It absolutely has been insanely prolific. 30 seconds left. What is the thing that you dislike the most about Brian Haydad? Uh, pretty much all of his sports takes. Like a like a, a Giants fan? Come on. Who's, who's got used for that? Uh, Chelsea fan? How about you be a little more transparent in the fact that you're just bandwagoning onto a winner? Okay. Um, Saints fan, I mean, look, I'm not going to begrudge you on that, but it's the local squad. It, it is what it is. But a Lakers fan, dude, you're, you're the worst in every way, shape, and form. All right. Well, you too. Glad we got that out there. <laughs> hey, Brett, thanks for your time, man. Good visiting with you this afternoon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. That's, uh, that's Brett Hudson from the Tuscaloosa News, covers the Crimson Tide. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Interesting story out of Jacksonville as it pertains to Gardner Minshew. Thanks to Brett Hudson for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Anything that Brett said stand out to you guys with regard to what Alabama's defense is or is not, what the offense may or may not be able to do against Mississippi State defensively, etc.? It's just one of those things where Everything he said is truthful and well-informed and, and all that, but, I mean, we all know what's going to happen. So, I mean, does anything really stand out? No. I, I, I fully expect what's going to happen to happen. So, Yeah. The uh, the Alabama's not a rush three, drop eight team. Um, I, I understand why he was saying it, because they haven't been, but that, that means nothing to me, because either was Arkansas before Arkansas played Mississippi State. Either was Kentucky before Kentucky played Mississippi State. You know, if that's... I don't know if that's the secret formula long term, but obviously this season that has worked very, very well. So I don't. I think Alabama, and also they're going to be able to get pressure with three. I mean, Mississippi State's given up pressure with three to everybody the last few weeks with more talent in Alabama's case than those aforementioned teams. So I fully expect Alabama to do what everybody else has done because I'm sure they're very confident in getting pressure with those three and why would you even mess with it? Just do what works. I, I would be very surprised if they do anything other than what we've seen for the last few weeks. So that that meant nothing, nothing to me. Not a shot at him. That's just, I know what they have been, but I have a feeling what they're going to be on Saturday. Must be some money coming in on Mississippi State. That line has gone from, what, 33? I think that's where it opened, down to 30 and a half? I mean... I don't know. I feel like the really safe bet is the under in this game, but we'll see. Still sitting at 64. Yeah, I mean, I don't think State's going to give up 60 
three points. So I mean, I don't, I just, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, it feels like the under is pretty safe. I mean, fifty-two to ten is the under. Forty-five yeah. seventeen is under. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think State would get seventeen. So, and fifty-two twenty, you're out of luck. Yeah, I tend to agree with you about Alabama maybe not being able to go score fifty. Could be wrong because they're really good offensively. Yeah. All right. What do you make of this story out of Jacksonville? So Gardner Minshew has apparently been playing since October 11th with multiple fractures in his right thumb and a strained ligament as well. X-rays taken this week revealed that Minshew has just that, multiple fractures and a strained ligament in his right thumb. He is right-handed. That is his throwing hand. Said discomfort in his thumb since Jacksonville's game on October 11th at Houston. Did not tell the team about the pain until after the last game, a 10-point loss to the Chargers, which led to a post-game x-ray in Los Angeles. Jaguars say they did not know about Gardner Minshew's injury until this week. Reaction? It's one of two things, right? He's either a tough SOB, which he's proven to be one. Uh, I mean, he's a really tough guy. Or somebody in Jacksonville is lying about not knowing that their quarterback has two fractures and a sprain in their thumb. One of those two. Because if he really was suppressing that and playing with that and not getting an ounce of treatment, he's tough, man. And... It's probably ill-advised. Yeah, it's not really what you should do, but maybe he... I mean, maybe there's something in him that thinks, you know, I don't want us to lose games. I want to show them that they don't need Trevor Lawrence, that they need to build around me, and so maybe there's some incentive there to cover something like that up. But if... I just... I would be really surprised for as much attention as these guys are paid that nobody there knew at all that he was injured. But maybe they didn't. Maybe he did cover it up successfully. But that's crazy, not knowing your quarterback, air quotes, not knowing your quarterback had two fractures in his thumb. To, to me, the, the reason that it's hard to believe, I mean, I, I get the idea of a guy like Gardner Minshew not complaining about an injury. But he missed a wide-open receiver, wide-open DJ Chark on the first play of the game. He had multiple balls where he airmailed guys. Over the course of his NFL career and going back to college, he's been a pretty pretty accurate passer. And it's just shocking to me that somebody wouldn't have gone up to him in a practice situation or a game situation and been like, hey, man, what's wrong? You're not you right now. Now, maybe you just blew him out. Ah, nothing's wrong. I'm good. I'm good. Maybe you just ignored it. But you would think a quarterback's coach or a receiver or another quarterback, folks that are around him all the time, his head coach, might be like, uh, okay, we got to do a medical eval because something's not right with you. Maybe not, though. Maybe they just do things differently in Jacksonville. All right, quick time out. When we come back, Allie McDonald will join us. And then Lee Sterling will follow her, both coming up on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be right back. 
Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on this Thursday afternoon. A few days now removed from the first professional win for Allie McDonald. This past weekend in uh, over at Lake Oconee on the uh, Great Waters course, Allie McDonald notched her first LPGA Tour victory, and she did it on her 28th birthday. She joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Allie, really appreciate some of your time this afternoon. First of all, congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm happy to be on talking with you. Uh, okay, take me back to Sunday. F- final round, you play well. There's some other low scores. You know you got folks chasing. Just kind of take me through the, the roller coaster of emotions of, uh, of a final round victory where you know you've got a chance to walk away with that trophy for the very first time in your professional career. Uh, yeah, tearing it up on Sunday with a lead was, uh, was something that I had not experienced before. Um, so I knew... I knew it was going to be a battle out there, more within myself than it was uh, going to be against everyone else. Um, so w- when I teed it up on Sunday, I knew that all I could do was control uh, control myself, control my breathing, to be in the present moment and not get ahead of myself. So um, I was able to do that through the roller coasters. Um, I, I play against playing against the best in the world. You expect people to make charges, and uh, I was just obviously happy to. To persevere and stay resilient and uh, play play well enough that last day to get that first win. So Jim Gallagher Jr. is a, a good friend of mine and comes on the show regularly with us, and we talk golf. And he always manages to talk about amateur golf, and he always talks about women's golf. I think part of that is because his wife Sissy has been so uh, so successful in Mississippi. You know, his daughters have played college golf, and he says, "Guys, you just don't understand how good these women are on the LPGA." He's covered it a lot. So so try and help us understand just how competitive and how good the players are uh, on the LPGA Tour week in, week out? Yeah, I mean, the the women that compete on the LPGA Tour are are just amazing athletes. I mean, um, I think I think I can speak for uh, for most of, mo- most people who follow golf um, might only lean towards the PGA Tour side of the spectrum, um, but I can guarantee you one thing, that we are not short of talent on the LPGA Tour, and uh, the people that compete on our tour are their class acts. Um, I can I, so many so many people are so personable. Um, when you when you run in and you come to an LPGA event, uh, the majority of our players are are going to um, acknowledge acknowledge you. They're not going to um, just kind of throw you to the side. Look, we're we're very appreciative of all all of our support that we get and. Uh, just the talent is is unbelievable. Um, it, it's playing against the best in the world, and um, almost everyone's a class act. And it's 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 obviously an honor and a privilege that I get to compete on the LPGA and play play against the best in the world. This certainly twenty twenty has been a year unlike any other, and you go from what, February to July with no events at all? And and there was some question and some concern as to whether or not the, the money was going to be able to there, be there to be able to pull off some of the, the LPGA events. feels like there's been a lot of work behind the scenes from the commissioner's office to some individuals that have really stepped up and some companies that have really stepped up that have made this kind of fall season trying to kind of get things back to normal even possible. Is that is that accurate? Absolutely. I mean, our commissioner has 
there is no telling what we don't even know that he's been doing behind the scenes to uh, make sure that we have events to play this year. And um, I think I think it's so widespread as our LPGA staff, what they've done to make sure protocols are in order, um, to make sure that everyone stays healthy and safe, uh, all the way to the sponsors who, who have stayed in and hung in with the LPGA Tour and have uh, supported these events in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it has got to be a struggle for some major companies and corporations um, and for them to stay in and and support an LPGA Tour event is, is amazing. And I think it even goes down to um, all of the players, our sponsors that we have who um, haven't neglected our contracts um, despite them probably struggling. It just goes to show you um, how much work and, and how much our commissioner has done uh, to get this to get this season, I mean, it's obviously cut short. Uh, we're I think we're going to be maybe around twenty events or something like that uh, for this year, maybe less than that. But um, for us to get in a, a pretty good season in the middle of all this, and us to remain healthy and follow protocols, it's a it's just it's a a job well done by all all parties that have have been involved in it. Allie McDonald on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line coming off her first career LPGA Tour victory. Of course, uh, an alum from Mississippi State, decorated collegiate golfer, decorated amateur golfer in the state of Mississippi. So, Allie, I want to go back to uh, to growing up in Fulton, Mississippi, and then making the move over to Starkville, playing in college. Was there a point where you thought, you know what, I absolutely can do this for a living to the tune of being ranked 44th in the world and closing in on $2 million in career earnings on the course? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I would probably say it's pretty abnormal for uh, for Fulton, Mississippi. It just is such a small town. I mean, the production, not only myself, but you've got Chad Ramey, um, who's who's competing at a high level on the Corn Ferry Tour, um, hoping yep. that he gets his PGA Tour status. Uh, Brian Dozier, who's, who's had a lot of success in the MLB. I mean, we've got the, we've got a lot of talent that's come from Fulton, but um, I think it just goes to show the work ethic that we've had. Um, a non-hole golf course is was what Chad and I both grew up on, um, and it's the, I think it also falls back on just the support of our community. I mean, even the surrounding communities, Tupelo. Uh, the entire state of Mississippi, just the support that's been poured into us since we were junior golfers. Um, and, and I can just say from, from personal experience, uh, I probably, my, I think it was my junior year of high school, um, I made it to the semifinals of the U.S. Junior, which was by far the largest spectrum and the highest level of competition that I'd ever been in. And to see myself succeed there, um, I, I felt like I possessed enough talent to be a successful collegiate golfer, uh, but I think at that point it kind of it kind of you know fired me up a little bit more to to not only um, you know I, I wanted to be an LPGA Tour player, um, but I think that gave me a little bit more uh, drive to feel like you know what maybe I maybe I can do this professional thing when I finish college and uh, just continue to work at it. The the support that I had poured in me at Mississippi State. Uh, Coach Ginger Brown Lim, uh, Lee Phillips, uh, now Lee Trelor, obviously they, so many people have had huge parts in, in my success. And, you know, I, the list goes on and on of people who have just been great and helped help me get to where I am. 
Not not a bad spot to practice when you're in college at Mississippi State when uh, you've got that practice facility at Old Waverly and that unbelievable setup there in West Point. I mean, we're so, so fortunate. I mean, George Bryant, so good. he obviously, he loves Mississippi State. And just to be be out at, you know, two, two state-of-the-art golf courses mm-hmm. and to have that just not only a great practice facility, but a place that you can go uh, challenge every part of your game. That's really special. Allie, i got to ask you this, and uh, you know, if this is bad form, f- forgive me, but what is it like when you get handed a check or there's a direct deposit for $195,000 for winning a golf tournament? Uh, well, I can, I can say this much. Um, I love, absolutely love what I do. I have passion for it. The fact that I get to do what I love for a living and, and, and make a living off of it is pretty incredible. Um, I, I don't do it for the money, but having being able to support uh, myself and my family um, making money is, is incredible. But um, there, there are a lot of financial, um, how can I word this, a lot of things that I think behind the scenes some people don't realize that go into supporting a professional golf career. Um, but, but that type of finance is obviously the first of first for me with that high dollar amount. But, um, let's, let's just say there's, there's a lot of behind the scenes, uh, support to to supporting my professional golf career. So, um, it's definitely going to go into useful places. That's for sure. Well, I, I don't want you to go too deep or anywhere. You're not uh, comfortable and we've only got a minute or so left, but, I think people don't realize what what goes with with caddies and travel and coaches and training and all the other stuff that nobody thinks about. It's an expensive hobby, not hobby, career for you, hobby for people that just do it recreationally. And it really goes back a long way to when you're in junior golf and the sacrifice that people around you have to make to give you a chance. Absolutely. I mean, I think – I mean, my parents obviously know it best, and it wasn't until I got out to support myself after college that I was like, wow, what my parents did to support my junior golf career, yeah. phenomenal. I mean, um, from from travel expenses um, to, you know, y'all, y'all probably know how expensive golf equipment can get, which now I'm under contract with, with golf companies. That, I mean, there are just so many expensive things, and I think back to my parents and the sacrifices that they made in order to support my career from the jump. Um, and, and now that I'm taking it on, there are a lot of financial um, things that, that go on behind the scenes. But um, I definitely, once I, once I got to where I was supporting myself, I have so much more appreciation for, for my parents and my grandparents who, who helped get me here and supported me when I was obviously unable to financially as a child. Allie, last thing for you, and again, congratulations. How do you keep this rolling as we go, you know, through the remainder of whatever this strange year is? Yeah, so I've got I've got another two and a half weeks before we compete again in Tampa. Um, I've I've ended up resting a lot this week, but um, I'll jump right back into my process, and that's just uh, you know making sure that. Uh, a win doesn't, you know, redefine me. It does not change my work ethic. It does not change um, how I work to got to get where I've gotten. Um, I'll continue to, you know, strive for more to to sharpen all areas of my game and uh, hopefully to finish the year off strong. 
Allie, congratulations again. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us. I hope we can chat again in the future. Hey, guys, thanks again. That's Allie McDonald, LPGA Tour winner as of this past Sunday. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Huge thanks to Allie McDonald joining us. Uh, can't congratulate her enough for the uh, the win on the LPGA Tour. No, you missed the very tail end of that conversation. We will play it for you coming up in uh, in just a little while. Allie talked a little bit about her process going forward, and we will uh, circle back to that. Let's stay, though, right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. You know him from Paramount Sports and ParamountSports.com, Lee Sterling. Lee, happy Thursday. What's up? I'm just just trying to move along. That's that's all you can do. I mean, uh, I was going to release one of the games, uh, the Nebraska-Wisconsin game, as one of my selections. Whoops. And... No, that's that's not available as of yesterday. So, just got he's got to got to move on the fly. That's what it's all about. If Nebraska had been able to pull off trying to do that rescheduled game against Chattanooga, which ultimately the Big Ten shot down, would that still have been a key release? Um, no. Um, well, <laughs> I, I probably would have gone against Nebraska. Actually, I was going to give out Wisconsin even with a four string quarterback laying three. Oh, wow! Points. I think Nebraska's. Front seven is that bad. So when is Wisconsin quarterback mattered anyway? <laughs> so, That's a good point. Um, and, and if you saw, I actually watched the Chattanooga game last week. They should have won the game. Did you see how that game ended? I read about that. I don't know that I saw the highlights. So they were scored on with a minute and 40 to go. It looks like they're going to lose. Uh, they led most of the game. They catched the kickoff and run it for a touchdown. The official signals that the other um, deep man on 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 the kickoff return team signaled for a fair catch. So he never actually. I don't think he raised his hand to signal fair catch. I think he was telling him to signal for a fair catch, but he didn't <laughs> signal for a fair catch. And and so uh, the official heard him say that, and he moved his hand, but not. Not up enough, I think, where it would have been a fair catch, and um, Chattanooga loses the game would have been one of the big upsets. Yeah, certainly, yep. uh, certainly would have been the case. Yep. Let's uh, before we dive into the games to look at this week. Why don't you tell people what's going on at Paramount Sports? Simple. We've won seven of eight weeks. Love to have you along for the ride. Uh, you can get nine games, ninety-seven dollars for Saturday and Sunday. It's an instant download, or five weeks of my phone service through the end of uh, November. Uh, just two ninety seven with coupon code SAVE200 at ParamountSports.com. SAVE200, that'll get you the entire month of November phone service, or you can do the instant download, nine games for $97. You can do all that online at ParamountSports.com. All right, so let's dive in and look at some of these games uh, this weekend. Alabama hosting Mississippi State, where Mississippi State, I think it's gone to 30 and a half. So it's actually come down a little bit after opening at 33. Alabama, a 30-and-a-half point favorite at home against Mississippi State. Crazy. But remember now, Mississippi State's defense will face a top-tier offense for the first time this year. They can score, you know, one play, you know, if they want to and if they're clicking. And uh, I know Bama lost, you know, maybe their best receiver in Waddle, but they got depth. I mean, they just keep bringing in four- and five-star guys, just need the seasoning. Uh, with the Bulldogs losing more guys, three more guys, it looks like going to the transfer portal, um, not good. And as I said before, K.J. Costello, 
is more of a pro set quarterback in a spread offense. It's not working. It's not like, like trying to put in a, uh, a round peg into a square hole and, um, uh, just think we see this happen so often in the first year with the new coach. It just doesn't look good right now. I like Alabama 52-16. 52-16, Alabama over Mississippi State. Ole Miss, uh, who is 1-4, maybe the most talked about 1-4 team in the country, but 1-4 <laughs> nonetheless, on the road against Vanderbilt, who has not played in three weeks. The last time we saw them, they were getting beat 41-7. to They get beat 41-7 to the week before that as well. Uh, you know, kind of a mid-sized number for college football. Ole Miss is 17-point favorite. So, like, Lane Kiffin did absolutely the right thing. seems like the better teams never get calls like that go against them, and, it, and it, it's got to be frustrating. So, they were the better team, probably should have won that game. Uh, they're going to have to face Vandy. Now, Vandy hasn't played in three weeks. Their offense put up just 255, 266, and 249 offensive yards against A&M, LSU, and South Carolina. Uh, three weeks to prepare for Ole Miss's D. They should gain mid-350, 360. Um, <laughs> their defense does return 10 starters. Might frustrate Ole Miss uh, for a little while, but I think they'll eventually break through. Here's the problem. Ole Miss 1-11 as a road favorite of less than 18 points. I think Ole Miss wins by two touchdowns, 34-20. 34-20, so not enough to cover, but uh, plenty enough to uh, to get the win. By the way, if, if Ole Miss holds Vanderbilt to 350 yards, we will probably start making comparisons to the 85 Bears in terms of defense. Right, right. Tackling is optional. But, you know, they, there was points in the game. Uh, I mean, Auburn had to come up with some pretty good plays. I mean, that kid Seth yeah. Williams is special. I mean, without him, Auburn loses by two touchdowns. Dan Mullen and Florida back out at uh, back at it this week. They've got uh, Missouri, Florida, almost a two touchdown favorite. I think favored by uh, thirteen in this game. Missouri yep. uh, certainly showing a pulse. Uh, I know you like Connor Bazelik, the uh, the freshman quarterback for uh, for Missouri. Florida hadn't played in a couple of weeks. Could this one be kind of weird? Well, he, I, I like what Missouri did in the game last week against Kentucky. They said, okay, we can't get into a wide-open game like LSU, so we're going to be balanced. They ran for 220. They passed for 201. They had 43 minutes of possession. Important. Um, they used a lot of jumbo, unbalanced offensive line alignments, uh, which might give Florida some trouble. Florida's lined up on defense wrong quite a bit. They missed some assignments here. Uh, their offense is great when hitting on all cylinders. Uh, I think their defense is vulnerable, and, and the Gators have to pause almost for two weeks without practice. And outside of the Tennessee Titans on that Tuesday night, been a bunch of teams like Baylor, Texas Tech, and the New England Patriots just have not been the same. So I think Florida wins 38-28, but I'll take Missouri in the 13 points. I know this isn't on your list, at least not in the list of games you sent me, but I can't help but ask about this game, and maybe it's one you're just going to stay away from, because – Sam Pittman's got Arkansas playing so hard. Texas A&M's a 12-point favorite. They are at home. It feels like Kellen Mond and the Aggies maybe have turned the corner a little bit. Is there anything that stands out for you in this game? Could Arkansas give A&M some trouble? They can, but, you know, I think with Isaiah Spiller starting to come on and running the football, I think they're a different team. 
And when they have balance, I think A and M. If you've looked at the Jimbo Fisher teams, uh, they're a tough out. Give Sam Pittman a lot of credit. I mean, he's he's yeah, no turned doubt. them into a competitive team. They're feisty. They're plus six in turnover ratio, which ranks eighth in the country. That's why they're staying in games. And Felipe Franks, who was, I mean, a turnover machine of Florida, he's not doing it. And I like the fact that he kept his uh, his defensive coordinator. Um, so. Uh, I, I just think that that Arkansas's defense, which is mainly six defensive backs, uh, not maybe not the right offense here to match up against A and M. I like A and M by be... seventeen. All right, A and M by seventeen. Yeah. Okay. You may not be ready to give a pick on this one today. You say this is the game of the week. LSU and Auburn. Yeah, they want to get that game. Uh, a lot of people haven't figured it out. I think I've I got I've looked at the matchups and found something. They want to get it. Just call me when the show's over, 800-400-9741. 800-400-9741. What did you make of T.J. Finley in his first start last week and the fact that he's going to be the starter again this week with Miles Brennan out? Good. I think, you know, you, you, you keep playing him until Brennan's 100%. Um, and they ran the ball, too. You know, when you give the ball 54 times, you run it 54 times, makes it a lot easier for the quarterback. But nice debut, and Smigger called a great game. Lee, anything you love in the NFL this weekend? Um, well, I mean, one game I like is I like the Rams over the Dolphins. A lot of people will be tuning in to watch Tua's first game. That pass rush for the Rams is really good, and I think they might sit on some some routes there. They have some really good DBs, and uh, Jalen Ramsey and Taylor Rapp, John Johnson, and uh, look for Aaron Donald. Michael Brockers will probably be all over him. So I think Tua's going to turn, uh, turn into a really good quarterback, but maybe – they're not ready yet. Twenty-seven, seventeen. I have the Rams, and and then also uh, like uh, Baltimore at home off the bye. Pittsburgh has to face a third straight different offense, and uh, just think that Lamar Jackson hadn't played close to his potential yet. So I like Baltimore at home there also. All right, great stuff from Lee Sterling as always. ParamountSports.com is the website. Uh, you said the entire month of November use the promo code Save Two Hundred. It's just two hundred ninety-seven bucks. Yeah, we call it not November, Paramount Sports. We call it November, and or the special nine for ninety-seven, and it's an uh, immediate download. So you got the games. You don't have to call me back. Five for Saturday, four on Sunday, and they're ready to go with the units rated from ten to fifty units. Two weeks ago, we had the seven for seventy-seven. Went seven and zero last week. We had the nine for ninety-seven. Went uh, six and three. So uh, thirteen and three isn't too shabby. And. I'm working hard. I'm here till a lot of times. If anyone wants to call at twelve thirty-one in the morning, I'm usually still here watching tapes and uh, finding some angles to help you make money. All right, Lee. Always appreciate the time, my friend. Okay, thanks. Take care, Richard. Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, ParamountSports.com. He uh, he liked Alabama to cover the big number against Mississippi State. Liked Ole Miss to win, but not cover. Had them winning thirty-four to twenty. Had. Um, Missouri covering against Florida, and uh, you can get the game of the week for free if you go to Paramount Sports. Call the uh, toll-free number LSU and Auburn. Sports Talk Mississippi, Lee Sterling joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Good to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. A little busy stretch there on the Farm Bureau phone line. Again, check out favrates.com. Go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. You go to that website, favrates, F-A-V-E, rates.com. It's really simple. All you have to do is click in your zip code to show uh, a particular part of Mississippi in which you live, 
And then it will give you the option of getting a quote on home insurance or auto insurance, or you can bundle those coverages together and uh, you can save, potentially save a lot of money. I, I will tell you that Farm Bureau is who I do business with, and it is personalized service. It's not uncommon to uh, get a call from uh, from my agent in Oxford, from Blair, and uh, him say, hey, what's going on here? What do we need to do? Um, hey, you're selling your house. We need to make sure we've got coverage in place for where you're going next. And that's the personalized service you get when you, you know the people that you're dealing with. And there's a really good chance with agents in all 82 counties that you do know uh, some of the agents that uh, that you'll be dealing with. Check them out. Mississippi Farm Bureau It's the reason that we tell you every single day to go with the home team. Borky, can we go back and uh, grab that last little minute or two from Allie McDonald? Here you are. All right, so we were talking with Allie McDonald, just uh, lost the very end of that conversation, uh, had to get to a uh, commercial break. Uh, Allie kind of finished up uh, talking about the role that her parents had played and kind of getting her uh, on the path to being a professional golfer and then the uh, prospects of uh, continuing forward in 2020. Um, I definitely, once I, once I got to where I was supporting myself, I have so much more appreciation for, for my parents and my grandparents who, who helped get me here and supported me when I was obviously unable to financially as a child. Allie, last thing for you, and again, congratulations. How do you keep this rolling as we go, you know, through the remainder of whatever this strange year is? Yeah, so I've got, I've got another two and a half weeks before we compete again in Tampa. Um, I've, I've ended up resting a lot this week, but, um, I'll jump right back into my process and that's just, uh, you know, making sure that, uh, a win doesn't, you know, redefine me. It does not change my work ethic. It does not change, um, how I work to got, to get where I've gotten. Um, I'll continue to, you know, strive for more to, to sharpen all areas of my game and, uh, hopefully to finish the year off strong. That was Allie McDonald, who would uh, love to uh, to double down and uh, add to that uh, that win total. Borky, you know, it's one thing to say I want a professional golf tournament at the highest level available to me, which is what she has now done. But then you want to get greedy, and you're like, oh, I want to win again. Uh, I want to win a major. I want to keep it rolling and just see how big we can make this thing. And you hope this becomes one of those situations where you learned how to win and it makes the next one and the next one a little bit easier. Next tournament for uh, Allie in the LPGA comes from Bel Air, Florida, the weekend of November 19th through the 22nd. So she said she had another couple of weeks before uh, getting back after it. They'll play in Texas the first week of December. The uh, U.S. Women's Open has actually been rescheduled for December 10th through the 13th. They're playing it in Houston, Texas. And uh, then there will be a, a tournament the week after down in Naples. So December will be a, visit, a busy month for uh, Allie and uh, all the women on the uh, PGA Tour. And just uh, such a cool story. Fulton, Mississippi, Starkville, Mississippi, and then the world. You know, one thing we didn't get into, and it's my fault. No, I say we. I, I didn't ask the right question. I wanted to ask her about the importance, and, and maybe we'll get to talk to Allie again and, and can go down this road in the future. You know there's this unbelievable amount of respect for, for all the women on the LPGA who are so incredibly talented. But I wonder how Allie 
and some of the other young American women on that tour feel about the importance of some success for some young American players? Because we've seen so much success uh, success on the LPGA in the last decade from international players. And that's not to say that there's been no success by American players. I just wonder if um, if she and some of the other young American players on tour uh, look at it that way. Be fascinating to know. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Uh, that, that's something that kind of stands out to me too, and it's not anything other than just familiarity. But uh, from a basketball side of things, because of where Giannis, for example, grew up, you knew very little about who he was. And it took people a while to realize that he is an elite-level star. Same thing with Luka. But people have known who Zion is since he was 14. People knew who LeBron James was when he was 15 or 16, and that really helped with their immediate recognition and star power when they came into American sports. I think that does matter to some degree because a lack of familiarity with people until they're there kind of... uh, not damages, maybe not the best word, but uh, hinders the the hype around them when they first break onto the scene. I think we've seen it in multiple places. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. Really excited for Allie McDonald. One of the things that we've talked about, whether it's with Jim Gallagher or others, is that youth golf in the state of Mississippi is so on the rise. And it's not about to stop. I mean, there, there is a crop of, you know, high school sophomores, juniors, and seniors that are about to make their way to the collegiate ranks that are going to just explode. But it's not just boys' amateur golf. It's also girls' amateur golf. It's growing in a, uh, in a really big way. So, uh, again... Appreciate Allie spending some uh, time on this. Uh, yeah, I am going to roast you for this. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just going to skip it. I'm just going to skip it and uh, and move on. All right, let's look at top 25 football action this weekend. You know we got no Wisconsin, but we got a bunch of other games. Number one, Clemson, again this week, plays at 11 o'clock, and again this week they are a 30-plus point favorite. People talk about Alabama fatigue sometimes. Are we closing in on Clemson fatigue, 32-point favorite against Boston College? Well, they were a big favorite last weekend and didn't cover, right? You're exactly right. So, you know. And then Dabo got mad when people asked, you know, some questions in the postgame. He's like, am I in the right place? I thought we won today. He, uh, he's so exhausting, man. I'm so sick That's of that a good crap. word. That's a good word. Um, I don't know if it, if I would call it Clemson fatigue. It's just when are they going to be challenged? Yeah. I mean, at least Alabama's been challenged. You know, they had to play Georgia, and apparently going to Oxford for them was not easy. Um, Clemson's just – they don't have that. And so it's hard to – one, it's hard to know really how good they are. Compared to an Alabama or an Ohio State, for example, who we don't know much about either, but we don't know how good they are. They're playing teams that they should beat by half a hundred every time they go out there. And you're right, there's a little fatigue there. 
Yeah. I mean, Miami was supposed to challenge them. Yeah. They weren't not, not, ready yet. No, that's true. That's you true. feel like there's some teams in the ACC that can get there a little bit. Not not and not not the way that, not be like Clemson, but be like a, you know, like an LSU or an or an Auburn or Georgia who can challenge Alabama every now and then. But there's not anybody there right now. Who is that team? I think Miami can be that team. Florida State should be that team, but Florida they're State. just such a train wreck right now. North Carolina has that kind of potential. Especially, I mean, they're put their recruiting class is great this year. If they put together two or three of those, they'll be right there. Yeah, Georgia Tech, I think, is somebody that will eventually be competitive on an annual basis in the ACC. Maybe not for national championships, but I think they will be a team that can compete and like be ranked and make that a difficult game for them. I guess it is important to remember that with Georgia Tech, this is only year two. And the fact that they, you know, they got the early win and kind of a everybody was watching game and Jeff Collins, some excitement, and they're doing some good things there. And it feels like it's trending in the, the direction. But let's be honest, your, um, your perception of them gets swayed a little bit after seeing 73 to seven. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah. I also think, I mean, we talked about this, that Clemson ran it up and should not be throwing up 60 points in the fourth quarter. I think that's a little ridiculous. But you want to talk about Mississippi State having to go through a complete stylistic change? Georgia Mm -hmm. Tech's, you could argue, is worse. I mean, they're going from an offense that you recruit players that can only run that offense and nothing more to a more traditional style of football. This was always going to be a multi-year no, you're right. Shift. You're right. Look at some of the uh, other games involving top 25 teams when we continue with you at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Yeah! Any of these games stand out to you? We'll, we'll skip over the SEC ones. We'll get to them, uh, obviously, when we make our picks tomorrow. We'll talk about them some as we uh, move throughout the show this afternoon. Memphis at Cincinnati. Cincinnati, a uh, six-and-a-half-point favorite. They're pretty darn good. Smoked yeah. SMU last week. Memphis is 3-1 on the year. Yeah, there'll be some points. A little surprised at the total in this game. It's only 55. Somebody knows something. Cincinnati's not bad defensively. Maybe what they know. Um, Michigan... Is a three and a half touchdown favorite over Michigan State. They gave Rutgers their first Big Ten win in years. Big Ten road mm-hmm. win in years. Yep. No Big Ten win. It's been two years. And then wasn't it? When was the last road win? Anyway, been a long time since Rutgers did what they did to Michigan. State. Wait, was that game in East Lansing last week? It was. Yeah, in front of zero people. But yeah. The mascot's yeah, you know, not even allowed to hang around the stadium. Sparty, uh, of, of all the environments with empty stadiums, seeing Michigan in the big house that seats 115,000 with nobody in it, whew, 
Just wait till you see a Penn State game. You'll realize how ugly that place this is. Weekend. It's full. It's amazing. But without people, ugh. It's supposed to be a whiteout this weekend when they host Ohio State. You got Kansas State, West Virginia in the uh, Big 12. West Virginia is a favorite in that game. Three and a half point favorite at home. Kansas State's been playing pretty good ball. Coastal Carolina tries to stay undefeated as they go to Georgia State. Play that one in Atlanta. These are all 11 o'clock games. Big slate of games. Has 11 o'clock become the new, like, 6.30 Central? Man, the numbers on 11 o'clock kickoffs are good. I mean, very mm-hmm. good. So, they're sticking with it. I, I think it, especially for me, I would rather watch the 11 o'clock games than the 6.30 games. It, let me rephrase that. I would rather have a game that I want to watch at 11 versus 6.30. Because by, by the time the day's gone, like, you're wanting to cook dinner, now I've got to put the kid to bed, all that kind of stuff. 11's a perfect window for me to not have anything to do as a working adult with a child. Yeah, but once you get them to bed oh, yeah, and dinner's but... done, you'd like to have something compelling still to watch. Oh, for sure. I will way tell you this. Here. Go ahead. Go ahead, Hayden. So way off topic here. Richard, have you seen the new uh, Mississippi high school classifications? No, I saw somebody alluded to the fact that those were Oxford coming and Starkville out. are in the same division now. They're both in six division uh, two a two of of six a. We will uh, let's take a look at those in a uh, little bit deeper detail in um, in the five o'clock hour today. We'll, we'll get yeah. to that. Um, I was just going to admit that I'm having an impossible time staying awake for night games. Like, in my mind, I wanted to stay up and watch BYU last week. I wanted to stick through the end of whatever the 8 o'clock kickoff was and forget about it. Can't do it anymore. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, Notre Dame's at Georgia Tech. Notre Dame a 20-point favorite. Indiana and Rutgers in Piscataway. No line on that one right now. Oklahoma State is... Big Ten East, isn't it? Whatever. <laughs> That's exactly what's on the line. You're right. Oklahoma State's only a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Texas. That's fishy. Yeah. That one's a little fishy. Boise State yeah. favored by 14 at Air Force. Ohio State, Penn State, primetime. That's at 630 on ABC. Buckeyes favored by 12-and-a-half. What am I missing there? Especially with how they played last week. Yeah, I don't I don't that's another one I don't get. Stay away. Hey, must be those hundred and one thousand in white that are gonna make the difference. Yeah. Hmm. You've got three SEC games in the uh, the night window. Mississippi State, Alabama is at six on ESPN, Arkansas at Texas A and M, six thirty on the SEC network. And then Missouri, Florida. How about Florida getting relegated to the SEC Network alternate channel? Of course, that had to do some with the shifting around. So that's oh, a uh, six thirty kick. You know, we're just happy to be out there. Glad to be back this week. Number fifteen, North Carolina is at Virginia, who is one and four. Seven o'clock on Fox. Number twenty-four, Oklahoma at Texas Tech. 
You want nightcap? You've got nightcap. BYU, 29-point favorite at home against Western Kentucky. Sports Talk Mississippi, two hours in the books. College Football Fix is coming your way next. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm Thursday afternoon, rolling with you into the 5 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, don't forget about the C Spire text line. It's always open to you, 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know that your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet phone and internet bundle, sorry, business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. The IT experts at Cspire equip your organization with reliable high-speed internet and industry-leading VoIP phone systems, plus 24/7 local support, so you can focus on your goals. They've got connectivity covered. See how Cspire can power your success today at cspire.com/business. It's time right now for the college football fix. Truck month at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. College football fix is driven by Ford. Test drive the F-150, the best-selling truck in America. The reason they say that Ford trucks are built Ford tough, 43 straight years is the number one selling truck in America. That's the F-150. Get behind the wheel of one today. So we were looking at top 25 a second ago, but skipped over the SEC. And Borky, with regard to the SEC games, got a bunch of double-digit lines. One game that doesn't fall into that category, so your question is what? Yeah, Vegas does not particularly like the slate this weekend, so removing Auburn and LSU, because if LSU wins that game, would you consider it an upset? I certainly would not. So get getting rid of that game, the other five, which one do you think is most likely to end in an upset? Georgia? is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite at Kentucky. Ole Miss is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite at Vanderbilt. Mississippi State, the line has dropped to 31, but they're a 31-point underdog in Tuscaloosa. Arkansas, just 12 in College Station. And Missouri, 13 in Gainesville. Which of those do you think is most likely to end in upset? Hmm. And you don't just mean covering the spread. You're talking about upset. an outright underdog winning. Underdog winning the game. Not saying you're picking that to happen, but the one that's most likely to happen. First off, I want to point out that a few weeks ago I was ridiculed on the show for saying that LSU was going to beat Auburn, and now we're saying it's not even an upset. So I just want to point that out. LSU's not ridiculed by me. I'm just saying. But that said, it feels like the answer to me is is Missouri. Well, 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 you say so. Half the teams they play are going to win. Half the teams are going to lose. Uh, I mean, Missouri is, you know, they, they they handled Kentucky pretty easily. They beat LSU. You know, they, they've played a lot better than you thought they would. You know, obviously not the cold weather advantage that Eli Drinkwitz was hoping for. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I, could see, I could see Missouri knocking off. I mean, they went down to the Swamp, what, two years ago behind Drew Locke and won that game? Uh, I, I could see Missouri doing that. I still, to this day, can't believe that Eli Drinkwitz got behind the podium and said that they will have a weather advantage over Florida. Yeah, well. It'd be different if you were in Barrow, Alaska, buddy. 
mean, 50's cold for the Gators. I wonder if they'd still be in the SEC East, even if they were in Alaska. <laughs> oh, come on, the league office, they're great. Hey, they did nail this COVID thing. But besides that, they're a bunch of jerks. <laughs> oh. I don't know if jerks uh, is the right word. I mean, am I crazy for, for thinking that Arkansas is the most likely to pull the upset? I mean, I, I feel like Texas A&M is playing better. But it just, just dominated this rivalry, man. I know, I know you can't I know they say year. I know history doesn't really play a role, but man, they haven't. Arkansas hasn't beaten them in, in eight years. Well, it's not like Arkansas has beaten a bunch of anybody. True, true. And I mean, these games are always close, too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like the way they're playing for Sam Pittman, the way that Barry Odom is scheming things up, and he's had two weeks to prepare for Kellen Mond and Isaiah Spiller in Texas A&M. I mean, I think A&M probably wins that game. I mean, it's it's a more talented roster, and Hogman will say, well, I've heard you say that before, Richard. And you're right, I have said that before. But, Hogman, what you haven't heard me say before is, yeah, but... I could see a route to Arkansas going in and pulling this upset off. I could. Arkansas defensively has been pretty good. Really good at times. I guess I would lean in the direction of Arkansas being the one that most likely to pull the upside. I, mean, I think Arkansas and Missouri are kind of in that same category. Talking about first-year head coaches in both those games. I mean, I don't think it's Mississippi State. I mean, so so the the question that Borky asked was, of the the games with lopsided point spreads, double-digit point spreads, who is the most likely to pull the upset this weekend? I don't think that Kentucky is most likely to upset Georgia. No. Because they don't have a pulse offensively. They're going to have to have a handful of pick sixes to compete in that one. I don't think that Vanderbilt is most likely to upset Ole Miss. Maybe I'm wrong there. The, the I only don't case think... you can make there is that of these teams that are double-digit favorites, Ole Miss is the worst one. Yes. Oh, yeah. So that's, yeah that's, no question. That's the case to make there. I don't think that Mississippi State is the most likely to go into Tuscaloosa and knock off Alabama as a 31-point underdog. It would so be, it leaves you with those two games. It would be a heck of a thing for State to be 2-3 and three and have lost to Arkansas, Kentucky, and Texas A&M, but have beaten LSU and Alabama. That would be a college football story right there. Wait, so you're saying there's a chance? I mean, anytime you line up, there's a chance, but there's not much of a chance. Yeah. What do you think, Borky? I, I think it's Missouri. In part because if Florida had as many COVID cases, I mean, if they had 30-something COVID cases, that means those kids could not practice for two weeks. I mean, if they really did the isolation and stuff correctly, those guys did not practice or work out vigorously outside of their homes for two weeks. It's a third of the roster and then some. So... I think that's most of where my thinking comes from. I think Arkansas, there's when you scheme well and play hard, it's no wonder that 
they're competitive in games against teams that have more talent than them, but that's what they do. But I think Florida might really struggle here. The, the inability to practice at all really as a team and over a third of your roster not being allowed to do anything for two weeks I think might lead to a really sluggish performance from Florida. We'll see. Just get Megan out of the way. I mean, that's all you need to do. Just get, oh. just get her out of the way. <laughs> switching gears. Completely switching gears. Kelso... Don't know if you're listening today. You got a little one at home now, and that's kind of changed things up for you a bit. This is for you. Do you know who is likely going to be the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday? Some some James Madison alum. Rookie. I'm not even going to swear to you that I'm saying this name correctly. Ben DiNucci? Is it Danucci or Danusi? D-I-N-U-C-C-I. You'll forgive me for not being 100% sure. The seventh-round pick out of James Madison is likely going to be the starter for the Cowboys this weekend. We know that Dak Prescott is out for the year. We know that Andy Dalton took a vicious shot in the open field last week. And so Ben DiNucci isn't sure whether he's going to start on Sunday. But Dak Prescott has offered up some advice to the rookie quarterback. How about this? DiNucci says, with regard to Dak, kind of just walked up to him and said, hey, this isn't what you said my rookie year was going to be like. He laughed and gave me a hug and just said, we've talked about this. Go out there and you do you. Take completions, trust the guys around you, you'll be great. Don't overthink it. Football's football. It's a game I've been playing since seventh grade. Not going to try to make it any more than it is. It's going to have fun with it, bring a lot of energy, bring a lot of confidence, and let my play speak for itself. Andy Dalton is still in concussion protocol. If anybody would know about a rookie year that wasn't supposed to be that way, it's Dak Prescott. Danucci does go said and uh, go on to say, for me, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. I think as a rookie seventh rounder coming in, you see Dak and you see Andy at the top of the depth chart. It's hey, there's no chance that I'm going to be on the field this year. But hey, this is 2020. What else do you expect? Here we are. So we'll see if that how it, that's how it plays out in Dallas this week. He's been taking the first team reps the last couple of days. MHSAA, as Haydad mentioned earlier, has announced its new region structure for 2021, 22, and 23. So these will go into effect at the start of the next academic year, so fall of 21. And I'll be honest, for me to try and go and look and give you all of the changes, like this team moved from this region to this region, uh, we're going to have to do that with Will and Stephen Gagliano tomorrow and, and look more closely at that. There are a couple of things that stand out. Region 1 of 6A, and I'm looking at the football reclassification. They've done it for each sport because not every school has teams participating in all the sports. Region 1 of 6A for football. 
Center Hill, DeSoto Central, Hernando, Horn Lake, Lewisburg, Olive Branch, South Panola, and South Haven. Seven 6A schools in DeSoto County. And South Panola added to the mix. Well, if you're trying to save money on travel, you just saved it in that region. <laughs> Goodness. And like the longest trip is 45 minutes to Batesville. Maybe an hour if there's a wreck on I-55. So DeSoto County has seven 6A schools, and then they've also got Lake Cormorant, which is a 5A school. Think DeSoto County's growing much? Holy cow. Region 2 in 6A. Now here's some travel for you. Not like insane, but significant. So you've got Clinton and Germantown, and Madison Central and Murrah out of the Jackson metro area. You've got Grenada right there on Interstate 55. You've got Oxford and Starkville and Tupelo. (coughs) So to to Clinton, that's that's a pretty good haul. That's a haul. That's two hours and... Probably, well, I mean, on a school bus, it's three hours. Yeah. Two hours and 40, 45 minutes normally. So four schools from the Jackson metro area, Clinton, Germantown, Madison Central, and Murrah, Oxford and North Central Mississippi, Grenada, what, an hour and, depending on how you go, 10 minutes, south of Oxford and about an hour and a half north of those Jackson schools. Starkville over in east-central Mississippi. And then Tupelo, northeast Mississippi. There, There's some pretty significant travel there in that region. Region 3, few changes here. Brandon, Meridian, Northwest Rankin, Oak Grove, Pearl, Petal, Terry, and Warren Central. So, let's see, Jackson Metro for Brandon, Northwest Rankin, Pearl, and Terry. Warren Central out of Vicksburg. And then you're talking Pine Belt for Petal and Oak Grove. I'm missing somebody there. Oh, and then Meridian. And then... uh, Region 4 in 6A, Biloxi, the Iberville, Gulfport, Hancock, Harrison Central, Ocean Springs, Pascagoula, St. Martin. So all of the 6A coast schools, South Mississippi schools, making up Region 4. So those are, um, you know, a few changes in, in 6A. It feels like, feels like the biggest change in 6A and maybe the entire state is in what that Region 2 in 6A looks like. Yeah. Well, putting Tupelo and Starkville back together, that used to be a big-time rivalry in the state, and now they'll be playing each other again. Yeah. Starkville-Oxford, you know, Little Egg Bowl is now a division game, a district game. So, Sure. Oxford-Tupelo has become a little bit of a rivalry, maybe in sports other than football, primarily. Um, like baseball rivalry. Yeah, baseball and soccer and... Some of those other sports. 
Mm. I was trying to look to see if anything just kind of jumped out. Um, I don't see anything just right off the top of my head. Did you look at this closely enough that um, anything jumped out to you? Clarksdale and 4A. So Clarksdale, I guess, makes the move from 5A to 4A. Nanawaya jumped to, or, or is in 2A now. Haven't they forever been a 1A school? Yeah, I believe so. And there's some good 2A football programs. Oh, Stringer is a 2A school now, too. So you got Nanawaya and you got Eupora and you got Charleston in 2A. So yeah, you can uh, you can check that out if you're interested. You want to go to the uh, MHSAA website? That's M I S S Miss H S A A. If you want to, uh, you want to check that out. Oh, Taylorsville is now a one A school. That is tough. I feel bad for the one A schools having to play them. Hmm. Taylorville, uh, Taylorsville, who has played up a lot this year and yeah. has been competitive yeah. in doing so. Yeah, and now they're going to, oh, goodness gracious. So the Dallas Cowboys have cut Don Terry Poe loose. You may remember that uh, Poe played his high, uh, college football at Memphis and didn't do a lot statistically, but then when he did make plays, he made big plays and kind of burst onto the scene in the NFL and had made some big plays, but... Um, had trouble keeping the weight off. And some would say has been a distraction on this Dallas Cowboys team. I don't know if distraction is the right way to put it or not. He has been a storyline in the fact that he is the only Dallas Cowboy who has been kneeling each game during the National Anthem. And so Jerry Jones was asked about whether or not that was the reason that the Cowboys cut him. Feels like kind of a savvy answer from Jerry Jones. Tell me what you think. When you're 30 pounds, yeah, when you're 30 pounds overweight and you're not doing anything about what's keeping you from performing well on the field, there's no reason to get into the other stuff. The other stuff that he's referring to is specific to a question as to whether or not Pose being the only Cowboys player to take a knee for the cause of social justice during the National Anthem, factored into his release on Wednesday. Jones specifically said this, I understand your question, and I'm deliberately not going to answer it. We have a platform here, but the platform on the football field has a high standard, and Poe was not up to the standard. He needs to correct that, and he did not. I'm going to leave it at that. Reporter trying to paint Jerry Jones into a corner. And say what you want to about Jarrah. I think he handled that pretty well. It's not like we don't know what Jerry Jones' stance is with regards to players standing or kneeling for the national anthem. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want that on his team. But if Don Terry Poe was wrecking opposing offensive lines from the middle of that defensive line, Jerry Jones wouldn't have cut him. Because Jerry's number one concern is winning football games, and the Cowboys are not doing that. And if Don Terry Poe was helping the Cowboys win football games, 
he would be on that football team. But when you're not performing, you are consciously not doing anything to take care of the weight issue that you've got as a professional athlete, and you are a distraction, or and you are doing something that is not the owner's preference, he'll be on a pretty short leash. And that short lease was just cut. 30-year-old Poe was signed to a two-year, $8.5 million contract as an unrestricted free agent in the offseason. He was guaranteed $3.5 million on the deal. Had a clause in his contract where he had weekly weight incentives. You weigh in at a certain number, you get a bonus. Those bonuses ranged from twenty dollars to $45,000 and could have added up all the way to $500,000. It is unknown if Poe collected any of those bonuses along the way. But Jerry said you're 30 pounds overweight and you're not doing anything about what's keeping you from performing well on the field. And no reason at all for us to talk about any of the other stuff. Jerry Jones handled that the right way. Pretty much. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Wait a second, man. What do you think the teacher's going to So, um, Lane Kiffin was asked on the SEC media teleconference yesterday about his fine and asked for an explanation about his tweets with regard to pennies and paying the fines and he actually went into a pretty detailed explanation. I think it was Nick Suss at the uh, Clarion Ledger that asked the question. You want to hear this? Sure. Lane Kiffin says, I've had a lot of offers for pennies. I had some offers for my son for some math education and tutoring. I'd like to say that I did know that all along. I was just setting it up for more attention when I got to the replay part. Just like the video at FAU, the no energy video, I did that on purpose so we could get more publicity. I would assume we're probably the most talked about one in four team. People forget we're one in four, so maybe it worked. He goes on to say, I did joke with the commissioner when he called me and told me about the fine. I said I was surprised that a retweet would get you a fine. It's not something I was saying. We retweet things all the time. So I kind of joke that if I'm getting fined, I've got to do something so it's not just a retweet. That's not very much fun. So I had a little fun with him with the pennies. It's behind us. I understand his position. I really was retweeting not because of the comment, but because of the video with it showing so the fans could see in case they hadn't seen it hitting the hand. I'd gotten fined in Conference USA much less money, by the way, because I retweeted the blind refs with the seeing eye dogs after one of our games. Well, the commissioner said, hey, you could have gotten away with the retweet, but you tagged at Conference USA officials or something. So I thought I was okay there, but uh, I guess not. <laughs> Media savvy, this guy, I tell you. He's playing the long game, isn't he? Yeah. How about that line? I would assume we're probably the most talked about one in four team. People were forget we're one in four. <laughs> So maybe it worked. What's the likelihood of Ole Miss 
having the second half of its season look drastically different from a win-loss standpoint than the first half of its season? How do they distribute snaps at quarterback? See, I was I mean, talking. If you're asking, if you're asking me, Matt Corral's the quarterback. I was talking with a friend about it earlier, and uh, while Vanderbilt is on a very good spot on the schedule for them, they need this game because two weeks ago, the quarterback threw them out of a game, and last week, officials and some self-inflicted wounds, whether it be drops or bad decisions, led to a loss. This past week, two games that objectively they should have won and they did not for various reasons. Um, they needed Vanderbilt on the schedule just to get right and get a win against a team that they're better than because everybody's better than Vanderbilt. It's a very good spot on the schedule. But I was talking with a buddy, and he actually brought up something kind of interesting. He said, you know what scares me about Vanderbilt? He said it's not like the fact that they've played Ole Miss tough or whatever because Ole Miss has won five of seven. You could have said this in 2015 and been right, but now it's not really a thing anymore. Um, what scares him is if they start beating Vanderbilt and Plumlee plays and plays well, and they'll be inclined <laughs> to continue to do quarterback shuffling moving forward because everybody's going to play well against Vanderbilt. You could put Kid K. Den in there and he'll throw for 300 yards against that defense. So uh, I thought that was kind of funny that – you know, no matter who plays, they're going to look good, and that scares me a little bit. That That's the assumption, right, that, that kind of everybody's making. But I also assumed in the season opener that 30 wasn't a big enough line in the Texas A&M-Vanderbilt game. It's the only game where Vanderbilt's shown a pulse this year. Was it 17-14 or 17-13 they lost? 17-12, something like that? 12. 17-12. And they had had a chance to win, but a bogus, absolutely bogus um, flag on Derek Mason ended the game. Because he ran onto the field to call a timeout, and they threw a flag on him, and that ended the game. So they they showed a pulse against A&M. They got smoked by LSU 41 to 7. They got smoked by South Carolina 41 to 7. And then their game with Missouri was postponed. And so they have not played Vanderbilt being they since October 10th. I don't think Vandy's going to have 85 guys ready to go this week, but you would think that they would be closer to healthy than they've been in a while. Probably so. I just wonder if you get the Vanderbilt team that defensively looked capable against Texas A&M, or is it the Vandy team that gave up 41 to LSU and 41 to South Carolina? Well, you hope it's the other. And they're going to be schemed well. People call into question Derek Mason's coaching ability. Running a program, being a head coach, maybe. But you know they're going to have a good plan. It's just whether or not they're going to have the guys that can actually execute said plan. And this is a really good week for, for Ole Miss on the other side of the ball to look good as well because I keep bragging on seals. I think, and you'll see it Saturday, there will be flashes. And that's all they are. But there will be flashes of you thinking, hey, this kid's going to be pretty good with a new system, which he's probably going to get. Um, 
maybe some better weapons. Hopefully they can recruit to him some. But he, he shows flashes of being okay. But he's always under pressure. And the receivers are big-bodied guys, but they're not fast and they're not good. Everything around him is crap. And so this is a really good weekend for Ole Miss defensively to get multiple stops in a row, not give up a whole lot of points. And I think it was uh, your buddy Ryan Brown that pointed out on Twitter this week, Ole Miss, in every game, five games, has given up that team's season high in points. And I think Vanderbilt only has to get to 16, or they have to get to 13, 13. right? 13 13. to get their season high. So they might do that six games in a row, but obviously a little bit different. Complete non-sequitur here. Hey, Dad, let's rewind to the 2001 season. Oh, God, okay. You remember it well? Yeah, I actually do. Kevin Fant, quarterback? Yeah. Well, for the you know for the last couple games, yeah. So, well, he played quarterback in the uh, the Egg Bowl. Yeah. And who was shining the, moment for him? Yeah, who was the uh, the running back that had a big game that day? It was um, well, Dante Walker scored three touchdowns in that game. It was Dante Walker. Yeah, Desenzo Miller had a big game too, had hundred yards. So I was going back there. We do a a thing for the pregame show that's a, a flashback against the opponent. You picked that game? No, 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 no. No, hold on. Hold on. So I was um, was doing a flashback to the 2001 season, Ole Miss's win against Vanderbilt. Uh-huh. And it was kind of a come-from-behind victory. Eli Manning had a big whatever. And Ole Miss finished that season 7-4. and four. Yeah. They lost to Mississippi State in what would have been the regular season finale. You're talking about the, the season that came to a grinding halt before the start of week three because of the the September 11th attacks. Mississippi State was the first game back when they hosted South Carolina, Mm -hmm. et et cetera. Yeah. So Ole Miss finished that year seven and four Mm -hmm. and did not go to a bowl game. Yeah. Arkansas won seven games in the regular season. And played in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Auburn won seven games in the regular season and played in the Peach Bowl. Alabama went six and five in the and regular season and lost to Ole Miss. With a loss to Ole Miss and was invited to Shreveport to play in the Independence Bowl. Just a, just and a, a seven and four Ole Miss team was so left different. home. The way the way things are now versus the way, I mean, uh, you know, think about the '97 season where State goes seven and four, and they didn't even go to a bowl game at all. Ole Miss went. Well, I guess they were seven and four. I need to double check that. What but year they, you know, they beat '97 when they won the Egg Bowl on the two pointer? Ole Miss was was seven and four, and they went to the Motor City Bowl. I mean, there just weren't the bowl games, but there also wasn't the the conference did not do a good job of protecting teams at that time. You know, the Bulls just sort of picked who they wanted. So yeah, that's how you you get a seven a seven to fourteen quarterback by Eli Manning. By the way, that's a that's a good yeah. story. And no, nah, he's not going to a ball game. The Motor City Bowl. Yeah. The at, Ed Bowl that year was played at for the, the Silver Dome. Yeah. In Detroit, yeah. on the twenty sixth of December. 
really what turned into a pretty fun game. Ole Miss against Marshall with Chad Pennington and Randy Moss. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Certainly are in a different era now. Sports. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.